0: Welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, a show dedicated to podcast advertising. If you're a podcaster or an advertiser, and you're wondering how you can take advantage of this rapidly growing space, you're in the right place. On the program, we'll discuss strategies and techniques to optimize your experience with podcast advertising. Hello, and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. And today on the show, I am thrilled to have Bart Roselli, the SVP of Strategy from Veritone One. Veritone One is an agency that we at True Native Media have been working with for quite a long time. Actually, one of the first agencies that we worked with when we founded True Native Media. And I'm so excited to have Bart on the program today. We have been wanting Veritone on one on the show for a while, just because their impact in the industry has been so great. And we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, which you all will know if you have listened to any of my content, and that is dynamic ad insertion. Welcome to the show. Um, Thanks so much for being with us today, Bart.
1: Thank you, Heather. A pleasure to be here and uh, excited to, to dive into the conversation.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So I know we want to spend some time talking about working with an agency, and we're definitely going to hit that toward the end of the conversation, but I wanted to start by talking about dynamic ad insertion. And if you're listening to the show and you're unfamiliar with what dynamic ad insertion is, Dynamic ad insertion gives you the capability to insert ads into both your current as well as your back catalog episodes. So as a podcaster or an advertiser, you essentially have the capacity to reach a full listenership of the audience within a specified period of time. So that might be a two-week period, a four-week period, whatever it is that you have decided. Um, so that's the foundation of dynamic ad insertion, and I'm curious, Bart, from your perspective, because dynamic ad insertion is a little newer. And, and when I say a little newer, I always wonder like what that actual definition is. Like we've <laughs> right. been right. doing it for several years now, but from your perspective, can you tell us? I guess what you see as being the pros and cons of dynamic ad insertion, as it applies specifically from an advertising perspective.
1: Sure, and yeah, I, I think it's it's funny to always think about is it new because it's not, but I think it's more prominently displayed because of you have the minerals and the iHearts that now operate 100% in dynamic ad insertion. So just by organic nature of that, you know, evolution. It's becoming more prevalent out in the space. However, we've grown up with podcasts being primarily embedded or in perpetuity based ads, which are extremely beneficial for clients. However, there's a lot of beneficial ways to use dynamic ad insertion. It just really depends on the goal for the account. So one of the first thing that kind of comes to mind is, you know, some clients have time sensitive offers. And if an offer has to sit out there at some form of perpetuity or, you know, over 90 plus days, if it's, truncated to only you know and expire at a potential time frame well then having the ad sit out there isn't entirely beneficial for the client it's not necessarily a negative thing but this is something where you can really utilize it uh similar to streaming in terms of structuring that ecosystem understanding what impressions you're going to drive maybe even putting specifics around how much you want weighted in the front half versus the back half of the week so it gives you a little bit more control to when the impressions are being heard for your brand and that works great with time-sensitive promotions, especially when we get towards the back half of the year and we have black friday Cyber monday stuff that's when dynamic really becomes incredibly powerful from that side but also i think it it also opens the door for campaigns and clients to dive into bigger shows that maybe you couldn't afford and you buying and you're just dipping your toe in the water and buying back catalog just to get a pulse like is this the right audience before I invest six figures? You know, over a longer time frame. So there's a lot of different beneficial ways that, you know, and especially in the direct response e-commerce space, that you can utilize it to your advantage, but you also have to understand what is the total ecosystem you're buying, what is your share of voice you're purchasing? Because if you don't understand that, you're kind of throwing darts at a wall and hoping that you're hitting enough people that will create the necessary engagement or even frequency. <laughs> To engage with your brand.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought up Share of Voice because I don't think that that gets talked about often enough. I know the conversations that I'm in, Veritone One might be one of the only companies that asks about Share of Voice. And so, uh, can you tell us exactly what you mean by Share of Voice?
1: Sure. And uh, definitely, I've heard a couple of different ways of how it's described. Sometimes people think of Share of Voice when you talk about. Hey, there's four ads in a podcast. You're buying one, you have 25% share of voice. Yeah, if it's once a week, you know, podcast from that perspective, sure you could call that because you're basically embedded in the thing and there's only four ads. But share voice for dynamic is about how many impressions are in that week and how many impressions are you purchasing of that total ecosystem. So if you almost correlate it back to, to radio. It's kind of like AQH with with a little, I mean, not directly aligned, but similar in that fashion. So it's understanding, okay, if there's a million impressions on a weekly basis for this show, then if I'm buying 200,000 impressions, I'm imputing a 20% share of voice that I'm purchasing. So I'm hitting one out of every five potential people of that audience, but also understanding how is that share of voice delegated across the week. You don't want it all happening on Monday. Mm -hmm. So there's That control element of dynamic insertion is extremely valuable. You just have to make sure you're having those conversations to make sure that you're buying the right share of voice and you understand what the ecosystem is. And then you also understand how do you want, to the best of the network's ability, to deploy those impressions? Is it evenly? Is it more weighted to Monday through Friday versus the weekend? And that's really where the power of dynamic insertion comes into play because it gives you a more controlled ecosystem.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just to reiterate, um, share of voice, you really don't want a hundred percent share of voice, right? Because you don't want all of those ad impressions. And I think it's such an important question because you could be buying a hundred percent of those, right? Which means like, what if a podcast had a pre-roll, a mid-roll and a post-roll? And let's say they're getting a hundred thousand downloads per week. And they, they say, okay, we're going to sell you 300,000 impressions. That means you're Mm -hmm. getting three ads in every episode. So you have to be really, really, I think aware of what that is. I haven't personally run into many people that are, are selling above like a you know, a 25% share of voice, I think is very common, but, um, I do think you have to be very aware. And what I see is that the complexity of dynamic ad insertion is much greater. So that brings with it a lot of opportunity, but it also brings challenges with it. And what would you say are some of the challenges that you face with dynamic insertion?
1: Sure. I mean, I think knowledge is always uh, the key thing. Just understanding what is the framework of what you're buying and what each network does or show does is different. So, how some networks stitch in ads versus others is one thing. Is it a you could have a host red dynamic ad insertion, you could also have a producer red. So, I would say the biggest thing with dynamic ad insertion is there's a longer list of questions and things you need to really truly understand before you purchase something so that you're not giving the show a, you know, developing a false negative that could be wrong. It just be because you didn't check boxes two, three, and four on the list in terms of what you're buying. So to me, it's, it's a little bit more research and understanding and potential growth of the show and how it's deployed, but also how the ads are stitched in at what points are they stitched in? I mean, that's where you can really start to get really granular um, we dive into a lot of that stuff just because you know, dynamic insertion can tend to be softer on a, on a performance response basis, but it's really about how you set up the ecosystem and that structure mm-hmm. to super serve whatever that campaign's needs are. And what there's going to be rationale to buy more than, you know, 30, 40, 50% in some cases. It just depends on the show, the content, what you're trying to get across versus more of an evergreen type of strategy.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. And embedded ads or baked in ads have really been the cornerstone, I would say, especially probably of the direct response ad industry and Mm -hmm. podcasting for a long time. And part of the reason for sure is that you've got a really nice, strong long tail, right? Like you're getting, as you mentioned at the beginning ads in perpetuity, which that doesn't typically Mm -hmm. happen. You don't typically get to pay for 30 days worth of ads and then maybe get, you know, three or four months worth, right? Like, right. you yeah. know, depending on how that episode went that your ad was inserted in, if they had a really popular guest or if something happened to make that episode get more downloads, you could really see a lot of, of you know, impressions being delivered that you're not paying for Or you just continue to see results that can trickle in, whereas when we're looking at dynamic insertion, it is time-bound, right, as we mentioned. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to run from, let's say, November 1st through November 30th, that's the only time your ad's going to be heard. It's not going to be heard in January. Um, And so I think one of the real challenges is that embedded ads have been so successful that it's not that I, I because I, one of the questions I get certainly, and I'm sure you get the question all the time too, is are dynamic ads as effective as embedded ads? And my answer is always, well, they're just different. It's not necessarily that one is so much better than the other. Um, there, they are different, and so it, it's approaching the strategy differently. But I'm mm-hmm. curious. Do you find that you're getting a lot of advertisers that give pushback to dynamic ad insertion because they're so used to maybe the results that they were seeing with embedded?
1: I would say pushback. I would say there's more inquisition or questions as to like, okay, how does this really work? What are the pros and cons? Um, Because there are like certain disadvantages, which you just touched on, which is yeah, it doesn't live indefinitely uh, for long periods of time. And while embedded ads used to be on for years, now they're more truncated to three to six months, which is still incredibly valuable. If you're buying a show and it's 50,000 downloads, you have the potential for your brands to be heard after those 50,000, if it exceeds it, whether it's guests or just organic show growth. And that ties right back into performance. That's why the direct response industry loves it. And embedded's not going away. Like It's always going to be there. It's just going to be a different percentage of the portfolio for podcasts just as networks become more acclimated. There's more focus on monetization of shows, talent, et cetera. But Embedded has always been the core foundation, always going to be extremely strong. you know. And unless it depends on a certain campaign and what their goals are, yeah, Embedded will probably make it, still be higher consideration than dynamic if you just look at, it at a top level, macro level. But for every client, there's one ones that may not even make sense for embedded because of time sensitivity, uh, seasonality of accounts, prom- huge promotional pushes that clients do. And they don't want to have mixed messaging sitting out there that doesn't align with what's actually truly accurate given their advent calendar.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, when we're looking at advertising, reach and frequency are the two big pieces that we're gonna consider, right? How many people are we reaching and and how many times are we reaching that same person with the same message? And I'm curious if you think that dynamic insertion could or or potentially should outperform embedded simply because of that frequency piece. When I, when I think about embedded ad reads, one of the challenges that we, I think as an industry almost even face is that if I'm let, let's say I'm a show that gets a hundred thousand downloads per episode. And I've got an mm-hmm. ad that's coming out today. It's going to take at least 30 days to get to those 100,000 downloads, and potentially even maybe a little longer, depending on how that episode performed. So it, it's a very slow moving medium. And so if you figure you've got one ad that came out today, it's going to take 30 days. Maybe, you know, maybe you've got an ad per week even, but it's going to take a while mm-hmm. to get that frequency out there. And it seems that with Dynamic, we should be hitting that frequency piece much faster, but it still isn't performing as well as embedded. And so that that for me is always a bit of a head scratcher because I feel that if we're getting the frequency out there and the frequency is up, is it that the reach is being diminished with dynamic insertion? So instead of reaching 100,000 people, are we only reaching 10,000 people 10 times? Um, so, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about reach and frequency as it applies to dynamic?
1: Yeah, I mean, we know because we all come from traditional media channels. So, we know that everybody wants things to be standardized. And I think the IAB has done a great job with moving to those 2.0, 2.0 plus standardization of what a download is, because we're still looking at apples, oranges, and grapefruits from show to show, network to network. So reach and frequency can really only be really adjusted unless you have similar statistics and and standardization from that side. But if you look at it on an individual show basis, I could tell you, like, we look at shows different. Like to, to us, like shows are their own ecosystem. So how one show operates is not how another one is, even if they're both dynamic or if they're both embedded. So data obviously does the talking. Um, look, we're, we'll go where the performance is and the data tells us. And there's been plenty of times where we've been pleasantly surprised with how fast things have picked up and also surprised when things haven't hit as fast as we wanted. But you know, in the end, it really depends on what the client's goals are, how fast are they looking for that return. But it's really about setting expectation because dynamic is essentially the inverse to embedded in terms of. Do you want expediency in terms of your results versus maximizing efficiency? And then this comes down to cost valuation mm-hmm. and what makes the most sense to reverse engineer into a client-specific KPI because what you do for a mortgage company, what you do for an e-commerce company could be very different in terms of volume of leads or act- act- acquisitions versus just sheer volume.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I think that makes total sense. And I think, I think you're, you know, certainly right across the board. I know you mentioned that you, you really feel like embedded will always be a a piece of the pie. Do you see that most shows are selling current catalog as embedded and back catalog as dynamic, or where do you see that embedded piece kind of hanging around?
1: I think the percentage of dynamic has increased year over year, just to like we talked about with the the key networks really tarn- starting to amp up and restructure how they build their platforms. Also for programmatic-based targeting and things like that that you see with, you know, megaphone, et cetera, out there. So it kind of uh, varies, but the the newer shows usually start with embedded because they don't have numbers yet, right. <laughs> right? So the whole thing is you want to limit <laughs> your numbers or limit it until you create some supply and demand, but also just interest in the show. And as you know, other shows can take off from zero to a hundred thousand, like super fast. And other ones take a little bit longer, just depends on the genre, the time, the relevance. I think there's some shows in, over the past year that really blew up in terms of like self-help and stuff like that, that makes logical sense, given everything that's been going on. Um, But I think Embedded is going to play a strong part, at least initially for those initial shows that are trying to build an audience, but also for shows that just they care about that one-to-one connection with their audience. And that's not to say dynamic ad insertion doesn't do that. It's just when a show hits a certain inflection point, there's different tactics you can deploy from both a sales perspective, but also an advertising buying perspective where you can you know, if you're towing the water with back catalog and other things, or you can approach it a different way versus, you know, if you're starting out with the show and it has 10,000 impressions, if that's purely dynamic, like not a whole lot you can really do. No, That's a pretty small
0: audience, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yes. When we look at dynamic, like you start to look at more traditional media tactics Mm -hmm. versus embedded where it's really about the upside of efficiency and you know, kind of looking at it as like a an undervalued stock mm-hmm. um, when you're purchasing it. And the networks are have, have really improved about forecasting. And remember five years ago, like, yeah, I think this person's got one point one million social followers and it's gonna do a hundred thousand. You're like, okay, that kind of makes sense, but who knows? And then it does twelve thousand and you're like it's I mean we make it as scientific as possible, but I think we've learned over the last 10 years how to do it and under promise and over deliver together as an industry. And I think that's why embedded won't go away because of the interest there. And dynamic to me is still in one of those, it's still an inflection. Pixel attribution is vital. They link together the growth and evolution for, for those two work hand in hand for synergy. Um, and I think that's something that's going to continue to improve and develop over time. But embedded is is, always going to be there because there's going to be enough interest from direct response clients that are looking for that maximized efficiency. And you just have to guide them on as a seller and as an agency to say, here's how you set up that channel to drive the success you're looking for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you read my mind because that was going to be my next question is where it is the pixel tracking and attribution play into dynamic. And I, I agree with you. I think they really do go hand in hand, but why is that? Can you, can you dig into that just a bit further?
1: Sure. And I think it ties back to what we've all discussed on panels and stuff for the last 10 years, which is there's standard ways to track podcasts, but there's also innovative ways to do it. And the one thing we always knew with really any media channel, unless it's something that's tied to a, a direct click through or a pixel that tracks all activity is breakage. So, and then where's that breakage coming from? Is it a Vanna URL? Is it a promo code, et cetera? I mean all things we've talked about at nauseam, I think in the industry for 10 years. So pixel attribution will help with bridging the gap on that attribution from Initial response to that because if you're capturing all of the activity and you can work scientifically with clients' backend models and also drive your own methodology that says, hey, this links with this because of this and this is why this is a connective tissue, that helps versus you know something that is a little bit less black and white attribution is never going to be 100% perfect in every shape and form, but we've got it pretty honed in and I think pixel will help further quantify the potential value of dynamic ad insertion as that needs. Because if you look at it in terms of drag, you're not going to get the same amount of drag you would get with dynamic ad insertion versus embedded just because of the sheer nature of the ad's not going to live out there in perpetuity. So I think that is why they are forever linked and the constant growth and evolution. I mean, I think we can both say probably in the last 12 to 18 months, I mean, it's and day different. Mm-hmm. Pixel was oh, yeah. a very hot topic like two years ago, but it's like, what is it like really? And it's like, now you have four and five attribution companies out there like working hand in hand with our company, whatever, and others just to figure out like, how do we develop this? Because this is still, while it's a channel that's been around for a while to us, it's still somewhat new to the rest of the universe and it's still on us and we're still trying to further quantify the immense value that we think right now, like it's kind of really being underrepresented, but I think it's at the point of inflection now that we're going to be past a billion dollars, which we all predicted together. It's really exciting. I think you've got the IEB doing a fantastic job with trying to standardize it and make it more approachable for, for bigger brands from that side. And then also you have the Tom Webster's of the world and there's enough research out there along with Nielsen, et cetera, to like, give clarity on like who you're reaching, the qualitative of the audience. So that's the exciting part is that we're kind of in that, like we're at that inflection point, not from like growth of the channel, but more about the evolution of attribution and where it's potentially going.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, I I think what's so interesting for us is attribution, even like at the beginning of 2021, it was like, oh yeah, attribution. It's kind of nice. And like, I don't know in the last like three or four months, it's just like, you have to have attribution. If you don't, then we're not going to put you on the campaign. Like we're not going to like yeah. advertisers yeah. need that information. And, and it's so interesting because as you know, attribution tracking isn't available to hundred percent of podcasts out there, which can be a mm-hmm. bit of a challenge, right? If you are, one of those podcasters that fits into that place where you're not able to do attribution tracking which some of the bigger companies like Anchor don't allow for mm-hmm. which surprises me but you know so it's it's interesting when we look at the value that attribution tracking brings and I do mm-hmm. agree with you they do go hand in hand um let's talk a little bit about pricing because ultimately when we're looking at creating a return it all comes down to how much we're paying if you're paying a CPM, you're going to get a very different return than if you're paying a $50 CPM. So as you take a look at dynamic insertion campaigns, I I feel like the number is always over the board. I usually tell people CPMs are somewhere between 15 and 50. Like, and 50 might be on the low side sometimes, 15 might be on the high side sometimes. So what do you think is, is the appropriate way to price dynamic? And, and is there a one-size-fits-all?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to probably unpack there from that perspective <laughs> is um, it depends on a lot of things. So we talked about the variables that you need to vet out when you're doing dynamic Like, Is the host doing the read yes or no? If not, that's a lower valuation. Yes. It's influencer-based channel. You don't have the influence of the person, regardless of the audience you're reaching, that's a little bit lesser of a value to, to what we're looking at. So, there's that. How many ads are there? How many impressions are there? Um, what's the potential growth of the channel? So, any point in time, you're buying XYZ share of voice. Is it growing? Is it, you know, over time, is it diluting? As the show grows, you could dilute share of voice just on that. So, there's a lot of things there. But I think what's happened over the last year is like as brand, more brands kind of come in. As long as things are standardized a little bit better, there's more comfortability for them. You know, on um, a per- most performance-based campaign, it's like there's going to need to be things that are rationalized from a sales perspective to validate the higher side of that CPM range you talked about. Because to me, it could be 10 to 25 bucks. It could be, you know, the only time you start going really north of, you know, 20 to 40 is... You start hitting on like you have the influencer doing the read, like, you know, are they refreshed reads every single time that you're running, or is it just one a month? So there's a lot of things that I think sales networks are still figuring out the give and take, because in the end, so we all know like CPMs are directional if it's performing, but if the structure of it is not set up the right way, you can have a very low CPM and have it not even work. And the same respect, you could have a very high CPM with a lot of structure and still have it not work. So understanding what that chemistry set is to have it hit the right points is really what unlocks the potential of of the true value. And it's probably more campaign by campaign, but I think at a macro level, those are the questions as a sales team and networks, like they need to really own and understand that to help validate the proposed cost.
0: I love that idea that it's like, It's a a chemistry, right? So what is the chemistry setup of your campaign? And one of the beauties of podcast advertising and one of the challenges is that everything isn't black and white. It isn't the same. And if you (laughs) were a company and you buy an ad campaign on podcasting and spend, let's say $100,000, it can be totally different from another $100,000 campaign run in a different way on different podcasts. And the value of that, I think really for me gets back to the influencer piece, which is also something I like to talk a lot about is that when we have that host read ad, and if the host is really, truly an influencer, that's not really a variable that you can even kind of calculate for because you don't know how well the audience is going to respond to the messaging of that product.
1: Yeah. I mean, the one thing we know is influencers perform. They work. We do it all day long. We buy tens of thousands of podcasts on a weekly basis from our perspective. Uh, The one thing that would definitely frightened me is trying to go into the ecosystem of this many podcasts and figuring out where do I start? There's just so many programs and shows out there where we're in a fortunate spot because we have data and technology that allows us to like mine and comb through it, understand what shows hit inflection points of growth. And when does it start becoming a potential, not necessarily a point of diminishing returns, but when you need to alter your strategy in terms of flighting and stuff. So Mm -hmm. we're fortunate in that respect, but there's no doubt that the cpms that we're applying to influencers which when clients come in with not a lot of experience or background with influencers are like well i'm paying this on facebook or, i'm paying this on digital i'm like this is not the same <laughs> campaign like you can expect higher conversion rates you can str- you know expect this is an uh unstructured ecosystem in terms of the contents you don't have a producer like on a radio program that's like go like get off the clock like we got to get back to the show content So that bridges. And that's why you have most influencers running longer than your proposed ad length. And that's really where the value comes out. And if they're really passionate about a product, and you do this through the vetting process and working with networks such as yourself to be like, which products do they like, which ones they feel comfortable with, that's when you hit a home run. And that's when the true power of this comes out. And that's why that's why it's such a burgeoning channel, and that's why it will be a traditional channel. If if you don't think it already is, it already is. Um, but I think that's the exciting part about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that you made a really nice bridge for us into talking about working with an agency. And, you know, one of the things that I get asked a lot is how do I go about buying podcast advertising? And there are lots of different ways that you can buy podcast ads, right? Um, Some harder than others. And certainly one of the easier ways to go about buying podcast advertising is to work with a company like Veritone One. However, not every company is necessarily going to be a Good fit. Um, mm-hmm. So typically I usually tell people if you're, if you're wanting to start small, if you want to just do a couple, or if you have a relatively yeah. small budget, probably best just to kind of go alone there. But if companies right. are really wanting to test out the medium, working with an agency like yours can really be, I think, super helpful. Um, talk to us a little bit about um, the types of clients that you work with and why someone would want to work with your company.
1: Um, yeah, we've been very blessed um, to have a lot of really blue chip brands over our history, and be able to to work with the the HelloFreshes, the Audibles, the DraftKings, you know, the bombuses of the world, like really key, huge brands that are really leading their spaces. Um, and really, the exciting part for us is to be able to really help advise and inform. The one thing that anybody in any position, job, or trying to build out their media portfolio is having guidance and knowing who to banter or talk ideas about. So when we are talking about clients and what shows make sense, we'll call you, Heather. We'll call other networks and be like, hey, here's what we're thinking. Like, Let's get your thoughts. Like, let's really dive into it. And that's really what we do, just couple that with analytics and technology. So we have the technology to go in and see how the talent are doing the reads who's doing a great job, and then immediately tie it to performance. Wow, this person did an amazing job, and look what we saw in terms of return. Let's try to replicate that out in the marketplace. Or hey, so-and-so you know, could use a little bit of tweaking and massaging on this. That's something that we can do with our like patented technology, is to be able to proactively optimize a campaign instead of react, which usually will take a couple of weeks for others, but really comes down to data. When you have hundreds of millions of dollars of data, to go in through and just basically imagine a seven-year history on a program. Like we have that. We can go and look at when was it $500 and now it's $40,000. And like, how does it work for different clients and how does it work against different KPIs and understand which ones make the most sense at the right time for clients. So it really allows us to really just accelerate the strike rate so that when you go into it and there's Millions of podcasts out there. We all know there's like probably three to 5% of that might be monetizable, but to go in and be like, okay, well, why these 25 to 30 shows versus these are like, how do you know? You're just really trusting judgment. And that's where data and actionable intel helps us out. And then we can react and advise if it's pacing ahead based on, you know, models and forecasting, where do we think it can go? And that can allow us to make proactive decisions. So you might be testing and, this certain time frame, and you can dabble it on your own and do it at a smaller level. I'm sure that definitely makes sense. Get comfortable with the channel, but when you're ready to like supercharge it and figure out very quickly and have it become a core part of your portfolio, that's when we hope that people will consider Veritone one. And that's where we can apply data technology and research to this channel that has always been like searching and wanting that input. And this is why it's invaluable to us. And that's why we get to work with, all of the great partners out there and give constructive feedback because it's all about improving and getting better on a case-by-case basis.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, that data is so amazing because there is so really so little information out there still about podcasts and working with a company like yours that has a proven track record, that understands how shows perform and going from, yeah, you know, maybe while there is millions of podcasts and and not all of them are not most of them are monetizable, there's still, if you look across the ones that are, there still are probably hundreds of thousands to choose from. And so how do you choose? And working with a company like Veritone One gives you the opportunity to not have to choose because you can go through and say these are the best 25 shows to be advertising on. One of the questions I have though that I find we run up against sometimes is inventory and some, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's one of the challenges about the medium too, is you've got this one show that you're like, man, that show performs really well, but all of a sudden now it's sold out all the time because it's performing so mm-hmm. well. And so d- is that a big challenge for you guys? I mean, obviously you've got all this data, but ultimately there's still only a certain number of ads available.
1: Well, I mean, if it's one that's, I think we all could collectively networks and the industry and ourselves can take pride in that we created that supply and demand together. Um, so when stuff is working great, that's a great problem for us all to have. The, the one difference of, you know, this channel in relation to other traditional channels is that you can still create more shows. There's, you know, in other channels, there's a restriction of audience or geographical signals that you can reach. So you're capped or uncapped podcast, So that's great. And that one, but that also should motivate the people that are performing in podcasting to be in front of new shows and be in front of this stuff because the, the upside of that stuff is massive, mm-hmm. but also at some point in time, like well, our goal as an industry is to make it and keep it as efficient as it is, but not turn it into super highly commercialized based programs, because then you pull back from what the excitement and really the separation of what podcast really is to us, that's a good problem to have. There's plenty of other like shows and demographics to do it. I think there's interesting things with being able to start looking at targeting by audience similar to a streaming ecosystem where you can do different things that are exciting. But I think the supply and demand thing is a positive problem for us to all figure out. But also when you've seen signs of life is that's when you want to recommit to the program and the network and then figure out, okay, what's next? And then just keep kind of moving because the channel is an ecosystem It's going to keep growing. Every week, there's dozens of new shows that come out. So if you think about it, if you just kind of kept doing the same advertising consistently, your quote-unquote share voice in the ecosystem reduces every single week if you're not continuing to test, et cetera. And to have an unkept channel with that potential is, is almost unheard of. From that perspective, compared to what we saw traditionally with like radio, TV and print, et cetera, it doesn't degrade the value of what those are for mass reach and value. But where podcast is powerful is, you know, a more, you know, controlled content ecosystem that allows for flexibility and for personalities to really be themselves, do it with a less number of ad units. And the demand is going to come because they see success. And that's a good problem for us all to deal with.
0: Absolutely. Well, Bart, that is a good note for us to end on today. I just really appreciate you coming on the show, and I appreciate all of you know the wisdom and um, guidance that that you've given us because I know that you have been in the industry for a really long time and. Um, you guys have some, some really great insights that I think lots of people would love to be able to take a look at. So it's, it's great to have you on the show today. And if anyone's listening and they would like to contact Veritone One, um, potentially work with you, where would be a good place for them to find you?
1: Sure. i um, happy to reach out to me at Bart at Veritone1.com. I um, would love to talk to you guys about anything that might pique your interest and in just understanding a little bit about the channel. And uh, thank you, Heather, for for having me on. It's a great pleasure, and uh, re- I still remember we always talk about the first podcast event that we met at, and we we're like, "True Native is to something here. They get it. Like this is going to be exciting." And for us to be having these conversations from what seven, eight plus years ago, uh, it's just really exciting. So thanks for for the opportunity to join your to join your show.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being on. And here's to another great seven, eight years ahead of us, right? Absolutely. <laughs> fantastic! Right.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.
0: If you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.